How do you parent when you're coping with your own health issues? Our guest today is a COVID cancer and heart failure survival, and she has some wise words for all of us. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. As always, we appreciate you supporting our sponsors. And today's episode is brought to you by Jen's very own Building Boys Bulletin. Go to buildingboys.net, click the subscribe button, and every Monday morning you will receive an email in your inbox that is the result of her combing through articles and newsreels and social media to bring you the latest in how to raise our boys to be great men and the issues concerning boys and men. Building Boys Bulletin, buildingboys.net, Go there, subscribe. And now, on boys. With four sons, I have spent a lot of time in emergency rooms, hospitals, and clinics. There was a nail in the foot, second-degree burns on an arm, migraines, appendicitis, and right now, two of my sons have plates and screws in their left collarbone and are in physical therapy. Illness, accidents, and doctor visits are a part of life. And one that we haven't talked about much here on On Boys Podcast, which is kind of surprising given my background in healthcare. This week, we are going to dig in with Jen Singer, who is an experienced boy mom of two. She also coached boys soccer. And she is a cancer, covid and heart failure survivor. And she's not like 89 either. She's vibrant. She's in her fifties. I believe the picture of health, except for the cancer COVID and heart failure. Jen has written a series of books called the just diagnosed guides. And it is a series of books to help patients and families navigate illness and the healthcare system. Welcome Jen. It's good to be here. And thank you for saying I'm not 80. There are days where I feel like I am, but today I feel like I'm my, my 55. (laughs) There you go. I mean, there's not a lot of people that can claim the cancer, COVID heart failure trifecta. No, not a lot of people would want to. Yeah. I have, um, I have a defibrillator in my chest. It has been quite, quite the last two and a half years. The the cancer was 15 years ago. It was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I had a tumor the size of a softball in my left lung. That, of course, increased the chance that I would have heart failure because I had the atomic bomb of chemo and mm-hmm. I also had radiation directly to my chest. But even so, I was feeling fine in February 2020 got on a train to Boston back when COVID was just one guy from Wuhan 
caught COVID, didn't know what it was. Didn't know it was COVID. Nobody knew it was COVID at that point. And we assumed it wasn't COVID. Um, And actually when I had it, uh, it just felt like a bad bronchitis. But then a couple weeks later, the electrical system of my heart shut down. Wow. I had a complete heart block, which is the the way I describe it. It's like the stadium lights being turned off after, after a game. It's just, which is not what you want going on with the system that keeps your entire body running. No. And you also don't want to wind up in the hospital in uh, the first week of April in New Jersey. Uh, April, 2020 was the worst time to be in the hospital, but because it was a heart problem. I got to the front of the line, passed all the other COVID people and wound up in an ER room, a pediatric ER room. So I had nice little brilliant cartoons on the wall while my heart was shutting down. Okay. You have two sons and they were still pretty little um, when you were diagnosed. Uh, And I feel like we have to start here because it was early 2000. How old were your boys at about that time? So it was 2007. I was 40. My kids are eight and 10. Okay. So kids are eight and 10. Yeah. Those of you who have eight and 10 year old boys, you know what that's like very busy time of life. And you know, you were feeling off, you were feeling something's wrong. You went and saw a doctor and the doctor said, of course you're tired. You're a middle-aged mom. Not helpful. That no. went on for a while. And that's, co- that's just commonplace. Yes. And it went, it, because of that, I was, I I wasn't, I wouldn't even say misdiagnosed. I just was not diagnosed for months and months. And this particular cancer is an aggressive tumor that if basically by the time they finally diagnosed it, I was two months from death. They said I would have had a heart attack. So yeah, I was coaching soccer. I coached my son's uh, soccer team and, you know, I'd run around the field and feel like I'm falling out of shape. And then go home and take a nap and did that for months until I finally got the diagnosis. So let's talk about this because whether it's cancer or COVID or any of the you know millions of things that can affect us and our kids, mm-hmm. this whole knowing when to push and how to advocate for yourself and how to advocate for your kids is tough for a lot of us. What did you learn through that experience and the others that you've had? Like, how do we navigate this? Yeah, that, that was the beginning of, of what my brother calls, uh, you know, this fall on NBC, Jen Singer, medical enforcer. I learned how by doing, uh, how to advocate for myself to the point where I was in the, the local hospital diagnosed with, at the time they thought it was Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is far more treatable. Um, and you know, has a better cure rate. So they were all ooing and eyeing over you're lucky you had Hodgkins and it turned out to be non-Hodgkins. Mm. And I knew that I needed a PET scan. I, I talked to one of my, who's my gynecologist in the middle of the night, emailing him. That's the kind of relationship I had with him. And he's like, you need a PET scan. And this hospital didn't have a PET scan machine. And they didn't want me to walk out because that's $250,000 of insurance money walking out the door. But I knew I wasn't, I knew enough by then because I had had endometriosis, I had had surgeries and whatnot, that I wasn't going to be treated at that hospital. I was going to try and make it to New York. I'm in New Jersey. I was going to try to make it to New York City. So I stormed out again and signed AMA against medical advice papers 
to get out of the hospital and go get that PET scan in New York, which did in fact say you have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, not Hodgkin's. They had, no. they were ready. They had put in a pick line and we're going to give me chemo for the wrong cancer. Wow. This is so common because we were trained or at least I was, you know, you trust the doctor, you believe what the doctor says, and you're telling us, do your own research. Don't trust, don't trust the first piece of information. But even now, like I'm thinking about my, just my hormonal, all the things that happened at menopause and who do you trust doing your own research without going down a crazy rabbit hole in the internet which Jen you know that is way too yes. easy to do yes so um years after that I became a medical writer because of this like the, I had the experience from doing I could tell you the, what the inside of a pet machine pet scan machine looks like as I've had so many of them when you're first diagnosed don't google it and I know everyone's like, but you should Google it. And no, because, and because it's unfiltered. Mm. So you can wind up in a whole bunch of places that I have learned from doing research as a medical writer are incorrect, old. And one of the reasons why I wrote these books is because that's especially prevalent in heart failure. For some reason, the statistics on the internet about heart failure are old and there are, are new medic new ish medications that are changing the prognosis for people every day. However, you get diagnosed with heart failure, you Google it, you go online. The first thing you see is most people die in five years and that is not accurate. And I would say for any diagnosis, what I call the, Oh damn diagnosis diagnoses, do not believe the stats because the stats always include the oldest and the sickest people. And you might not be either of those things. So your stats are what your doctor tells you. Your stats are not what Google okay. tells you. All right. So let's say I've got something going on. You know, like Janet said, hormonal midlife. I don't know what's going on. Or I'm tired and somebody's diagnosed me with a type of cancer and somebody says I should do this and somebody else, no, or my kid gets diagnosed. I want more information. You just told me not to Google. I don't have a gynecologist I can text in the middle of the night. So what do I do? No, everyone doesn't have that. No, you're very fortunate. <laughs> yeah. So there are a couple of things you can do. There are very specific sites I would send you to, to look at. And the first is the Mayo Clinic's website. They have very uh, up-to-date, straightforward information on most conditions. I think that's a safe place to get some general information. WebMD is another one that has more um, patient-friendly tone to it. And I would say probably any major hospital. In fact, when I Googled heart failure, I got the page that I wrote about heart failure for NYU Langone. Nice. So <laughs> Any teaching hospital should have enough information on it, but be careful. When I was doing, when I was writing, I had to write about leukemia um, and I Googled it and I wound up on a major hospital site. I will not say who they were. And the first thing they said about this leukemia is uh, 
five out of, of seven people die within three years. Like that is not, this is supposed to be for patients. Where is the empathy? Yeah. So that's why I, you know, Mayo Clinic for sure has it down. So that's a safe place to go. Another place um, I am going to suggest, because I use this a lot in my medical writing, you go to Medline Plus, M-E-D-L-I-N-E Plus, and that's a government site and you can type in whatever and it brings up all kinds of links from very reliable places. Um, Yes, but it's also going to give you scary statistics. Yeah, that's true. So no, I wouldn't send a patient there. I, I... You know, the other places, associations. So you have leukemia, go to the lymphoma and and leukemia, you know, society, American Cancer Society, things that are written for patients. I I would not recommend. Okay. I'm going to defer to you on that one. You're right. You're right. And some of it is also like written for professionals. And so there's things that you're not going to understand. Okay. What about how do you know when to follow your gut and Mm -hmm. keep pushing? And how do you do that? I've been so trained by this society. My question wanted to be, how do you do that respectfully? (laughs) Interesting that that was my, where my head went, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, there's, there's so many things to this, Jen. If you have a doctor who you feel like dismisses you, don't worry, you pretty little head over kind of doctor, then, uh, that can become a problem because they are not really listening to you. And I'll give you an example of when it matters. My mother had a doctor like that. My mother has Parkinson's and she was going to this big specialist in New York city, uh, renowned. And, uh, my mother kept feeling sicker and sicker to her stomach. It was like, she could barely function and my mom can push through anything. And so she started keeping a chart of how she felt when she felt that way, how sick she was and tried to show it to this doctor. And this doctor just, you know, no, no, no. It's just the Parkinson's. It's just the medic, you know, it's that's, that's all that it is. So we wound up leaving that doctor, taking the chart and my mother to a different doctor across town. And that doctor actually looked at it and said, you are getting sick after you're taking this particular medication. And what we have seen is that the withdrawal from this medication is as bad as withdrawing from cocaine. It is addictive and you wind up with the same symptoms as an addict coming off of cocaine. And so she very, very carefully and slowly, she put her back on the med And then very slowly took her off to the point where my mom still takes just the tiniest little bit. If you have a doctor who doesn't listen to you, you'll never get there. And so that's the first thing. If you feel like you're you're not being heard, find get a second opinion. And I understand that in some places, very rural areas, there's not a lot of options, right, Jim? Where you are, I am there. Yes. And so if I would say then, and I see this in in cancer, and I see this in heart failure. Um, that people who are not near a teaching hospital, if it's a big enough diagnosis, they will get their insurance or get their money up or however, and go to a Cleveland clinic or a Mayo clinic in another state. One thing that I'm hoping will start 
improving access for a lot of us during COVID, uh, the healthcare system and education and everything else took up telehealth, took up Zoom more yes. than previously. And so that is something that you can look into. There are more and more places that are offering that. And that may be an option for you, you know, before you travel somewhere else. So something to consider. Yeah. Especially if you're just looking for a second opinion where they're looking at, you have all the tests already done and you have another doctor, you can pay them a couple hundred bucks to meet you on zoom and give you that second opinion. It can be, I mean, healthcare is so expensive. I don't want to go into that, but sometimes it's, it's worth it. Now I'm in New Jersey, right? So I'm in the most densely populated state in the country. And I was getting nowhere with my heart failure. I was feeling lousy. I kept getting worse. My ejection fraction, the rate at which the heart uh, pushes out blood was getting worse and worse, no matter what they did. So I finally gave up and went into New York where I know it's a teaching hospital and I know the doctors. And in one year, he completely turned me around. I feel tremendously better. I want to point out for our listeners that this was not at all as simple as it sounds, because even though it is not difficult really to get from New Jersey to New York, I know because I know Jen um, personally and through writing circles, there was all kinds of insurance hurdles. And even though it's across the river, well, that's a different network. So yes, this is all more complicated than we have time to go into. And I know that you have the utmost empathy for everybody dealing with this. Yeah, because um, you would think that when someone becomes sick, that there would there would be empathy for you and help for you. Yesterday, I was on the phone with a hospital. I won't say who it was uh, trying to get a follow up ultrasound on a mammogram um, for 40 minutes. So I'm high risk because I've had radiation to my chest. Also, there's a giant piece of metal in my right breast. (laughs) So it complicates things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you would think that a cancer survivor would, you know, go to the front of the line. And and I had to make all of these calls to find out, are you really going to cover it? Am I going to get hit with the bill? I, I, I talked to so many people at various, at the insurance company and got different answers. This is part of the work, unfortunately, of being a patient. And when you have to do this for your kids. Yeah. Oh, mama bear. (laughs) Yeah. I want to talk about one angle of kids because I'm thinking back to when you were diagnosed and your boys were eight and 10 and there's all of the adult things happening and how you're feeling. And then there's your kids. And what do you say? How much do you talk about it? What do you, you know, you don't want to scare them. So talk about how to bridge that place of you want your kids to know what's going on because you don't feel good. And there's all these things happening and you don't want them to over worry, be scared. Mm -hmm. How did you handle that? How do you recommend handling that? I would recommend not hiding it from any child at, at any age. There was no way I was going to, I was going to be bald and I was in the hospital for, you know, five, 10 days at a time. There was, there was too, too much going on for me to even try to do that, but it never occurred to me to do that. Children who are around that age and a little bit younger tend to think that their thoughts caused you your health issue. And so you, that's one of the first things you have to tell them is there's nothing that you did that caused this. 
Uh, it's just one of those things that happens. Now, you have to be careful with that too, because now they think, well, am I going to get cancer? Right. And you don't want to call it a boo-boo because it ain't a boo-boo. You do have, it's the way I described it to them is I actually showed them the x-ray and mm-hmm. I said, you see that blob in my lung? I said, um, we're, I'm going to have to take some medicine that's going to shrink it down and make it go away. But first it's going to make my hair fall out. <laughs> that's actually the, one of the things they're most frightened of. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, my niece who was 11 at the time, I had to have a special discussion with her about my hair. Right? It was, you know, that it will come back and, and because that, that flips them out. But I, I sat down and I explained it to them and I did not at first use the word cancer, but I knew that someone was going to say that to them at the school bus mm-hmm. stop. So at the time, my husband, I, uh, when he t- took them home that night and my mother-in-law was with them, I said, you tell them exactly what I said and then say, use the word cancer so that no one goes, I'm so sorry, your mommy has cancer and they don't know what to do with it. It was never just one conversation. It was ongoing conversation. When I felt bad, I told them I felt bad. I didn't try and hide it. Just like I had, you know, chemo yesterday. I'm going to be sick and cranky today. I feel better today. Let's play a game. And of course they pick the game of life. (laughs) You're like, I am playing a high stakes version of this right now. But that's what we played. That game takes forever to set up. I hate that game for that reason. (laughs) I hated it too, but it was, you know, it was an opportunity for me to do wherever I could do little things with them because I was a very active, I was a soccer coach. I'd be out in the backyard you know, doing stuff for these kids and I couldn't. So wherever I could may have some sort of normalcy, I did that. I also had um, neighbors setting up play dates for them because it started at the end of the school year and then went into the summer and people were pulling them to uh, swim team practice. And then they just, they were in people's swimming pools and backyards all summer long. As Mother's Day is coming around, oh, I find I'm missing my mom more and more. And there's always questions and stories I wish I had asked her when she was still here. I do remember that I gave her a book once upon a time with questions for her to write the answers to. And bless her heart, she didn't answer very many. So that was really a disappointment. But fast forward to now and technology. And now we have mylifeinabook.com. It takes all those questions and stories and it puts it in a format that is sent to your person, whoever you designate, on a regular basis so that the prompts come, they're easily answered either written or voice to text, and they're captured by mylifeinabook.com. These family stories, this legacy that you want to leave for your children and your grandchildren. Mylifeinabook.com, create an unforgettable gift for your mom, your dad, your children this Mother's Day. Use our coupon code ONBOYS for 10% off. Go to mylifeinabook.com and use ONBOYS for 10% off. Create that legacy. Carry on those stories. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. 
How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. And you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot easymelts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash onboys. You know, Parents worry a lot whether we have a major disease or not, but when, especially when we are grappling with an illness or we're helping, you know, grandma or grandpa with an illness, we worry about how this is going to affect our kids and we feel like we're taking time away that we should be with them and we're adding worry to their lives when it should be, you know, an innocent, carefree time of life. The fact is, life can be tough, life includes hardships. People get sick. People need help. I know that you would not have picked this at all as a path for yourself and your sons. But when you go through something like this and you share, I feel good today, I need help, those things, kids learn how to be supportive and caring and empathetic members of a family and a community. Yes. And they had to, I had them take over things like you, you're now, you're going to pack your lunches. You're going to do, and had them take over some things that I had done before, but you know, I used to think that uh, I ruined their childhoods by having cancer because Mm -hmm. all of their innocence was taken away at one time. And I don't think of it as a gift. I'm not going there. If cancer is a gift, where can I return it? Because it was not. And I and I would never want to put it on anyone. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is that from that and the subsequent therapy that all of us went through um, has made them the fine young men that they are. I think it is reassuring for parents, people listening to hear that no, this is not a path you would pick for your family. You you don't want to walk this path, but you can still have a good childhood and you can still become a decent human through all of this. And I know that your sons played an important role of support for you as you were going through COVID and heart failure, because at this point they were young adults and their own education had been interrupted because of the pandemic also. You know, it was a, in a strange way, it was kind of a do over for my son, Nick, um, who, when he was 10, for some reason felt like it was his responsibility to make me better and take care of his little brother. So now it's 2020. He's a senior at the School of Visual Arts in New York. 
the school shuts down, New York shuts down, he comes home and he's, he's working remotely from here. And in the middle of his senior art project has to drop mom off at the ER because her heart's shutting down. And um, I immediately set up support for them because I knew that this was gonna be a major flashback for them. Mm, and yeah. so I had a text group set up for my two sons. And then um, a couple of my college soccer buddies who are still close friends of mine, one of whom's a nurse. So that's helpful from the medical point of view and my brother. And I just made sure that everybody what knew what was going on. Um, to an extent, the nurse had our, we had our own separate <laughs> text going on where the truth came out. But, you know, the, I, I just wanted to make sure that the, that the, bo the boys who were now young men were also being taken care of because I knew that this would bring it all back to them. Yeah. Let's talk for a moment about if it's our kids who are sick. Mm -hmm. Because it's easy to say, don't Google it for ourselves. Right. And that's hard enough to do. I have a 19 year old right now who's been dealing with some health stuff. I know he's Googling the hell out of that. Yeah. How do we help our kids get information without, you know, overwhelming themselves or going down inaccurate and scary rabbit holes? You know, if they're old enough, same thing, go to the same places, Mayo Clinic, go and look it up in the same types of places. If they're younger, you can control the information yeah. that they get. So you can tell them, uh, you know, this is going to happen to you. This doctor said this. A lot of what happened to my kids when they were younger. I mean, there was there was a Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker um, battle in which uh, the lightsaber was a hockey stick and Ooh. Darth Vader got it in the side of the head <laughs> <laughs> and we had to rush to the ER. I think that when those things happen, you have to be careful about how you're behaving when you're going to the ER. Mm -hmm. Because the more freaked out you are, the more freaked out they're going to be. Just remember, all you need at that time is sop up the blood, number one. Number two, what you need at that time is information. Mm -hmm. Anytime anyone's diagnosed, that's the first thing you need is, is, is information. So you take the information that you get from the ER doctor, you find out if you have to go see a specialist after that, you get the information from the specialist, find other people who have had the same problem. Yes. That's huge. I have, I talk to people about cancer all the time. I talk to people about heart failure all the time because I've experienced it. This applies for smaller things too, right? Yes. I mean, I mentioned at the top of this episode that I have two boys that recently broke their collarbones. There you go. Well, fortunately for right. us, and I put air quotes around that because I don't wish ill health or broken bones on anybody, but one of their buddies had broken his oh. collarbone a couple weeks prior, also dirt biking. So as soon as it happened, I was texting his mom and yes. I was asking her for information. And so she shared some things with me. She even gave me the contact information for their doctor. Okay. So reach out to the people around you. Yeah, that's the key, especially uh, if you have people locally, because then you have a shortcut to who are the good doctors, who are the doctors to avoid? Yes. Where yeah. can I get physical therapy? You know, that kind of a thing. 
Yes. So, so there is benefit to sharing and talking yes. to people. Oh, yeah. There's also the downside of sharing. You talk yeah. about, you know, what to share and not share on yeah. Facebook or at work. Help us, help us to know where, where to fall in that sharing zone. So I uh, recommend what I call circles of support. And that's where you create these circles around with you in the middle of who gets what information and when. And so everybody in that inner circle, your doctor, your spouse, your best friend, whoever can truly support you and whose life is affected by your daily being out of things, then the next, you know, next round with the teachers and, and uh, kids, teachers need to know, uh, coaches need to know, bosses, etc. And you go out from there. And I want to warn people, social media circle is not either of those two circles right in the middle. Now, social media circle is much farther out. Be careful what you write in real time. So now, you, you may say, but Jen, you did that. And I did that. I wrote about cancer while I was in it for goodhousekeeping.com. I did, but I filtered information out. Mm. I have not written about this. Now I've got to go for another ultrasound on my press stuff. Cause it's just like, really, Jen, another thing. I, I, and the reason you want to be careful is because people will, uh, there's two reasons. One is people will put their thoughts and, and on you, their opinions on you and how you should be dealing with it. And that, and they'll tell you all about their aunt who had yes. that and died, and died. a horrible yeah. death. Yeah, exactly. And they'll use the platitudes that I cannot stand, like stay positive and uh, be positive and stay strong or everything happens for a reason, all that, which does not make people feel better. It makes people feel lonely. And also you wind up when you become very public about it, everywhere you go, it's, how are you? Yeah. How are you doing? And maybe you just want to go get an ice cream cone and not talk about how you're doing today. Mm -hmm. So be careful who you share it with and put boundaries around you. If you are the person who wants to help somebody who's going through something and you want to ask them how things are. I, I use the same phrase. It's how are you to, how is it for you today? Mm. Because it changes, it changes minute to minute, mm -hmm. frankly. Mm -hmm. So some days you feel lousy and you want people to know that some people feel lousy and you don't want them to know that. And some days you, you feel perfectly fine and you really don't want to, you don't want to talk about cancer right now. I like that when you were talking about circles of support, you mentioned um, two groups categories that I want to highlight. You mentioned your kids, teachers, and coaches. Yes. If something is happening with you, your health or your kid's health, it's happening as a family. It affects your children and you do not need to go into detail with your kids, teachers, your kids, teachers don't need to know what you have. They don't need to know what treatments you're undergoing, but just a, a heads up that something is happening can be helpful. How did you handle that, Jen? I, uh, at the time I had one kid in one school and one kid in another, it was second and third grade. I got a hold of both principals. One of the principals was a breast cancer survivor. So she got it. Okay. It. So we, it was easier to, you know, and the other one was very empathetic and helpful. So they um, made extra effort for, first of all, tell both of their teachers and then to have a school psychologist to check up on them 
every now and then uh, so that I had other eyes on them. Nick's fourth grade teacher said he would come in as though the weight of the world was on his shoulders. And so knowing that, that he was, she and I could work together with, if he's being, uh, you know, forgetting his homework as no, of course he's going to forget his homework. So she, you know, would give him some slack. Um, I think that that's why they, they need to, they need to know that. And if you have like, you're about to have a major surgery or something's coming up, that's weighing on the whole family. There are people who need to, I can tell you as a soccer coach, I would, I would want to know that some, you know, I'm going to not be as tough on a kid in practice. If I know what's going on at home, Mm -hmm. you handle it differently. Yes. You handle it differently. And that is how one way we can all support each other is, you know, if you are dealing with something tough, yes, I can be a little bit more compassionate and show some grace today because maybe it didn't go all out. You are holding up the weight of the world right now. Yeah. And, you know, and I got to say when I, when I had um, cancer, my entire neighborhood was just absolutely fantastic. They took turns cooking for me. And not only did they cook for me, a friend of mine kept track of what I was getting. So I wouldn't get three lasagnas in, in one week. <laughs> And then I, we had a neighbors who owned a restaurant one day vans from the restaurant pulled up and my son, Chris, who loves to eat, just followed the people in. There was just trays full of food. You know, cooking is a, one way that people like to help. So just make sure that if you are going to, that you're not repeating what they have, that you don't have three lasagna showing up on the same night, that there isn't something that they can't eat. For instance, uh, when you're on blood thinners, you can't have vitamin K. So there's certain, um, or certain kinds of blood thinners. So you can't have certain kinds of salad and things like that. So ask if there's anything that they can't eat. This is interesting. It brings up for me the place of how hard it is for us to ask for help. And well, yeah, uh, especially yeah. if we're the ones running the family. Yeah. It's very hard to ask for help, but when I had cancer, we also had just gutted parts of my house. So let's redo the house at the same time. So I had no kitchen. Oh, it was no. really easy to ask people to cook for me if you have no kitchen. Sure. <laughs> Not recommended, but true. Great timing though, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, you have to ask for help because you can't, do you want to spend what little energy you have while you're sick uh, doing laundry or do you well, you don't want to play the game of life, but do you want to hang out with your kids? Say you, you have a limited amount of energy. Where do you want to put it? Things oh, that want to help. That's true. Exactly. They want to help and they might not know how to help. But if you ask them specifically for what you need. And again, I'll say, I don't think we are trained that way because it's, you know, we should be able to do it all. But sickness absolutely is going to blow that apart. I also would recommend people not to say the phrase, if there's anything I can do, because that's homework for the patient, because now yeah. they got to come up with something for you to do. That's not something someone else is doing. That's in your area and circles of support. Instead, offer up something specific. I know that the kids have to get to swim team practice tomorrow. Do you want me to do that? I had somebody leave a pair of sandals from our lake, community lake. It said singer on them. Instead of putting them in the lost and found, whoever this was, put it in my mailbox. To this day, I don't know who did it, but thank you. Aww. One of the things that we also have to do as we're raising our children, you know, we, we want them to be decent humans. And so we work on all our ways. We coach them through that. 
we need to teach them how to manage and handle their own healthcare as well and how to do these things. Certainly, this is not necessarily something that you're going to spend a lot of time with your four-year-old on, although you want to explain what's going on in appropriate terms. But as you were going through this and as your boys grew and with your knowledge, did this influence like how you taught them to advocate for themselves or fill out all the paperwork? And, And I'll bring you to the soccer field. So I was the only female coach and I was, there was just all these boys and there were men and me. And every once in a while, 12 year old, 13 year old boy would get hit in the balls. Yeah, that happens. It happens. Um, Pull them off the field. And sometimes I, other parents would tell them, you know, you're tough, suck it up. And I would not let them say that to these kids. I would whisper to them, listen, I hear you got hit in the balls. I hear that hurts. So you go over there, sit down away from everybody, and I'm going to go get you an ice pack Mm -hmm. and acknowledge that it hurts, especially with boys. Yes. We, we, for some reason, they're supposed to start being, I saw it from, I started coaching these kids when they were eight and finished when they were 15. And I saw when everyone started treating them differently, you're supposed to suck it up. You're not supposed to be sad. You're not supposed to show pain, but my God, that hurts. Yes. I'm speechless for a moment. Yes, that hurts. Yeah. And other things hurt, things that aren't physical hurt. And it's okay to hurt. And it's okay to show that you're hurt. We do our boys and our men a tremendous disservice by expecting them not to feel their feelings. Mm-hmm. And it causes them problems health wise, it causes them problems in uh, communication with their wives and girlfriends and boyfriends and husbands. We should not do that to anybody. Feelings are valid. Let the feeling come up, acknowledge the feeling. Of course you feel that way or no wonder you feel that way. And then just let that sit. There's no reason to fix it. There's nothing wrong. When we tell boys and imply that feeling things physical or emotional is not okay, then it shouldn't come as a surprise that so many are not empathetic when we tell them we hurt or we are in pain. So it's, it goes both ways. We're helping them recognize and respond to their cues and their pain, learning how to be in tune with their feelings and their bodies. And when they do that, I think it's easier for them to see that, oh, other people feel things. And I would call women and girls out on the expecting them to read your minds. Yeah. If you're angry, you tell them you're angry and you tell them why. If you're sad, you tell them you're sad and you tell them why. You don't, you don't keep your mouth shut and let them try and guess and figure it out. Tell us about your books. So you have the just diagnosed. It's a series of guides. Tell us what's available and who should look into getting these books. So there's basically two kinds. There's four books right now. There will be more, but there's two kinds. One uh, set is is disease specific. I wrote one on heart failure, obviously. And I wrote one on sarcoidosis, which funny, fun fact, I have (laughs) been undiagnosed from that, but at least I got a book out of it. I'm I'm just not even going to go into that, but (laughs) it's a good book. And I know all about sarcoidosis. She doesn't have it, but she learned a lot about it. So if you have it, yeah, it's a book. 
So, uh, and eventually there'll be others. Uh, I hopefully will run out of diseases I've had and start expanding, but there will be some on blood cancers um, and some other things. And then the others are uh, more general books. Uh, one of them is how to be sick because we are taught how to be healthy, but not how to be sick. And Lord knows I know how to be sick. I do it all the time. And the other one, which is about to launch, is uh, how to support someone who's sick. And that covers a lot of the platitudes that we usually use and why those hurt and what you can say instead. There are some practical bits of information in there on, you know, uh, don't bring them three lasagnas uh, here. You can take them to the doctor. Here are specific things that you can offer instead of saying, if there's anything I can do. And because people who want to help people who are sick are healthcare heroes. Yeah. Thank you. We need you. And we understand that it's, um, it's scary sometimes. I talked to someone who's a medical doctor who said that when one of his friends got sick, he he was afraid, got cancer. He was afraid, to, he didn't know what to say to him. Wow. So wow. there is some of what to say to them in here. And so much of it is really not saying anything. So much of it is just listening. Listen, validate, don't try and fix. Don't tell them that your aunt died of the same thing. Don't tell them that someone has it worse than they have it. However they are at this moment is however they are at this moment. And that is not wrong. These are books that everybody can benefit from on both sides because we all take turns. I think the world works when we take turns. Sometimes we're the patients and sometimes we are the person offering support for others. That is how this is supposed to work. None of us are supposed to do this alone. We're not supposed to do this alone. And yet uh, being a patient, especially being a cancer patient was one of the most loneliest times of my life because I'm in the hospital at four o'clock in the morning and they wake you up to take your temperature. I never understood that. So now I'm wide awake because I'm also on steroids and I'm watching the sun rise over the East River and I'm praying to God, please let me grow up. Please let me see my sons grow up. I can't, couldn't tell anyone that in real time. It would be, don't think that way, Jen, because you scare them. Yeah. So be that friend who lets the person say, I just want to see my kids grow up and I don't know if I will. And don't try and talk them out of it. Just yeah. be with it. Sitting with uncomfortable feelings is a lot of parenting. It's a lot of parenting boys. Jen, I want to thank you so much for sharing your hard-earned experience that I wish you didn't have. I am in awe of your, I know it was steroid-fueled ability <laughs> to create books through the midst of all of this. Jen, I'm going to include a link to your uh, justdiagnosedguides.com so people can see your books. Is there anywhere else we should point them? So it's uh, justdxguides.com. You can also follow me on Instagram right now. I, it's better just to follow my personal account at Jen Singer said, um, but I'm going to be building up the at justdxguides as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Thank Jen, you for having me. So much wisdom in this episode. If this episode was valuable to you, if you know someone who's going through an illness, please share this with them and 
Don't forget Building Boys Bulletin in your inbox every Monday, but you have to subscribe. Buildingboys.net. We are your co-hosts, Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net. And this is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.